General Synod has come and gone, and with it the mammoth question time on the first day, which had a huge number of queries about the House of Bishops' pastoral guidance for use in conjunction with the affirmation of baptismal faith in the context of gender transition, to close a quote. And if ever there was a piece of literature with a longer title, I'd love you all to tell me. While some of the supplementaries were a little bit tenuous, there were also some forensic examinations from the likes of Dr Ian Paul, which sought to tease out from the bishops responding the processes involved in the House issuing the guidance and their thinking about the exact status of the new liturgy that has been created. Wait a minute, did I say new liturgy? Bishop Pete Broadbent was very clear that despite the bishop's guidance offering particular specific readings and rubric to guide some of the somatic and verbal elements of the service of affirmation of baptismal faith, there was no new liturgy. Something has dawned on me last week, an epiphany as it were, which crystallised as Bishop Pete answered questions. I suddenly realised that A, he was right, there was no new liturgy, and B, that meant that the House of Bishops had actually dug themselves a huge hole that even I had been blind to up to now. Let me explain. The service of affirmation of baptismal faith has an introduction which says the following, quote, When baptism, confirmation and or affirmation of baptismal faith have been celebrated outside the parish, for example in the cathedral church or in another church within the deanery, it may be appropriate for the regular congregation to acknowledge this important transition. If this celebration is used, it should normally be included in the principal service on the following Sunday. This explains the usual usage of the service. It is to be used after confirmation often occurring away from the home parish, when the candidate is back in the home parish as a way of welcoming them in. In doing so, it takes a significant rite of passage that occurs away from the home environment and celebrates it in the home environment. It is about marking significant moments of discipleship within the community that is the main source of discipleship for an individual. Got all that? Right, here's the problem then. In the initial rubric and guidance around affirmation of baptismal faith, there is no indication that the right is to be used to acknowledge any other significant spiritual event than baptism and confirmation or a significant spiritual awakening after confirmation. I think we all agree this was the initial intent of the liturgy. So now adding a new rite of passage that the service can be used with means that the purpose of the liturgy has been changed even if the liturgy itself has not changed. So what does this mean? Well, it's worth taking a step back and thinking through the free possible usage of the affirmation of baptismal faith service and working out what the House of Bishop intends. It strikes me that there are three possible variations here. The first variation is that the House of Bishops intends that affirmation of baptismal faith is only used after a baptism or confirmation service. Second, The House of Bishops intends that affirmation of baptismal faith is only used with specific rites of passage that are marked as spiritual development. Third, the House of Bishops intends that affirmation of baptismal faith can be used with any rite of passage. I think that encompasses all the logical options. No other rites of passage, some specific rites of passage and any rite of passage. So let's deal with those in turn. I think we can rule the first option out straight away. By issuing guidance on the use of affirmation of baptismal faith within a specific rite of passage, i.e. gender transition, the House of Bishops have clearly shown that the service can be used outside of its original usage. 
So let's just move quickly on from here. The second option is that the House of Bishops intend the service to be used with specific rites of passage as well as after a baptism and confirmation service elsewhere. In this option, the guidance issued around transgender uh, issues is prescriptive because it tells you what to do in a particular circumstance. Of course, if this is the option, then the obvious follow-up is what other rites of passage do the House of Bishops intend to be marked by this service? Well, we can answer that question for one rite of passage. Question 50 at Synod asked the bishops about recognising a reversion of gender back to biological sex. And the bishops said they were clear they weren't going to offer guidance around that. So I guess we can ask the question, if not that, what other rites of passage would be suitable for affirmation or baptismal faith? Answer came there none from the House of Bishops. This seems to be really poor leadership. If the principle is that specific rites of passage can be marked in this way, then surely the guidance around gender trans trans transition should be the first of many. But it appears that the House of Bishops has no intention of offering any follow-ups for other life events. So the underlying principle is that specific life events can be marked with affirmation of baptismal faith in a prescribed way. We only have one life event so far, which affects a dramatically small proportion of the church-attending population. And that just seems weird. A policy to use the service for specific life events, but only one that affects the smallest number of people actually mentioned. The third option, then, is that the House of Bishops intend the service to be used with any life event, and that the guidance around gender transition that they issued is descriptive of the kind of thing that can be achieved rather than prescriptive of the specific events to be marked with this liturgy. If that's the case, then the question arises, who decides what is or isn't a suitable life event to mark transition? Let's think through some cases from easy to extreme to work out what is or isn't suitable. So our first case, someone who was baptised and confirmed as a child, then drifts away from church coming back into discipleship as, as an adult, committing their life to Christ after, say, an Alpha course or Christianity Explored or Emmaus or something, for them, affirmation, affirmation of baptismal faith seems to be the perfect liturgy to do that. And indeed, this is exactly the kind of situation that the liturgy was initially intended for. Our next case the same person is now about to head off to ordination training as the culmination of a path of searching for vocation. Again, this is an important moment, especially in their own discipleship. But is this a suitable service? If the same person marked their coming back to faith with the liturgy, is it now appropriate to do it again on the eve of vicar factory? If it is, how many times again in the future? After ordination? After moving to a different clergy job? These are all significant moments in personal discipleship and self-identity. Why not? Why? Our next case. The new vicar has been wrestling with epilepsy for all his life. Despite his best efforts, this has led him to depressive periods as he has felt himself inferior to what he perceives as other normal people. Recently, however, through counselling, he has come to reconcile himself to his disability and made a mental health breakthrough. He's much more comfortable with, with the man that God has allowed him to be as he sees it, and wants to mark that significant event with the affirmation of baptismal faith service. Is this suitable? If so, why? If not, why not? If gender transition to the true self can be marked with such a service, why not reconciling oneself with one's disability to recognise and affirm the true self? 
our final case, and perhaps the most controversial and deliberately so, just to make our point. Our vicar's family is actually from West Africa, Mauritania to be precise, and he's made two trips back home to immerse himself in his original culture. His father, who owns Haratine slaves, has died and he has now inherited them. His time in Mauritania has been profound. He has discovered his heritage and, quote, this is his real identity as the head of a West African family. Of course, he's not going to get rid of his slaves. That's the very core of his status as head of the family. This is an important spiritual moment for him, discovering his true identity. Surely affirmation of baptismal faith is the right tool to mark that. Now, you may think this last example is a bit extreme. Well, yes, it is, but that's deliberate. I hope you have some level of moral revulsion to the idea of affirming someone's baptismal faith when they are engaged in an immoral act, and that immoral act, namely slave owning, is core to the rite of passage being associated with a liturgical act. But the point is this. The request to associate this life event with this liturgy has forced you to make a moral determination as to whether that life event should be affirmed. Now, with slavery, that seems an easy decision, because owning slaves doesn't seem to be congruent with the doctrine and faith of the Church of England, which is probably the best yes-no boundary for deciding whether any particular life event can or can't be recognised with this liturgy. Indeed, Bishop Pete Broadbent, when answering questions at Synod, indicated that the guidance the House had issued on recognising gender transition didn't change the doctrine and faith of the Church of England. So this is a fair criteria to you to use. But what say if the life event was something with slightly less clear moral boundaries? Let's say the life event is becoming master of hounds for a hunt. Now, these days, hunting in Britain is illegal, but we know, we all know, that when uh, hunters and hounds go out to follow a trail, say, sometimes the hounds get a little bit keen and they find something else that smells good and they decide to have it for lunch. Perhaps this example shows the grey lines here. Becoming the master of hounds, master of a, of a, of a hunt, alternatively, is a very important self-identity thing. But fox hunting doesn't really contravene the doctrine of the Church of England, though some people find it morally abhorrent. And incidentally, if your response here is, but fox hunting is illegal, you've rather missed the point, and instead you're making an argument that the secular law is the arbiter of morality for the Church of England, which is a ridiculous idea. So to take us back to the core point, if the option that the Church of England were working with was that affirmation of baptismal faith can be used to mark any life event that is congruent with the doctrine and faith of the Church of England, that still leaves a huge number of questions. What constitutes a life event? How often can similar consecutive life events be celebrated? What if there is controversy over the life event? What if it's morally neutral? Who decides? What determines if something is or isn't congruent with the doctrine and faith of the Church of England? What if a life event, let's say, is illegal in one country, but legal or illegal but perfectly acceptable and not prosecuted in another? This is the mess that the House of Bishops have created for themselves. By rushing through this advice and not thinking through the consequences of adapting liturgy designed for one purpose for another, no one seems to have stopped to think about the underlying principles involved. 
And this, of course, led to a flurry of questions at Synod, highlighting the anxiety around liturgical developments by edict rather than by the full processes usually employed by Synod and the wider Church of England. And it's not as if anyone didn't warn them about this. For example, in my podcast, and I don't think many bishops listen to my podcast, but hey, my podcast back in July 2017, I addressed the original Synod request for trans liturgy by saying it completely circumvented the normal Anglican way of creating such liturgy. And in responding that the way they have, the House of Bishops, whilst being creative in their response, have dug for themselves a real issue in moving straight to the solution without the proper groundwork of the proper process to get there. As I've demonstrated, the lack of shown working, as it were, leaves open so many questions about what the correct wider use of the affirmation of baptismal faith liturgy is. It really is a nonsense and it is a mess that the house have made for themselves. The real issue here is actually nothing to do with the rights and wrongs of gender transition and everything about the way normal liturgical development practices have just been ignored and kicked out of the room in the cause of appeasing the loudest voice in that room. If the house keeps on digging this hole for themselves, it will just get worse for them. I'm Peter Old, and this is Radio Free Canterbury. And the walls kept tumbling down in the city that we love. Great clouds all over the hills, bringing darkness from above. But if you close your eyes, does it all make